HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste is everything, cost be damned attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I am your host, Joe Campanelli. And when I'm not hosting In the Drink, you can find me at one of our restaurants where I'm the beverage director at Delanima, Lartuzzi, Lepicho, and our wine bar, Anfora. And uh, if you're listening to this live, we have probably two more days of our summer pop-up Altalinia where you can uh, get your alfresco Negroni drinking on, but uh, that's it. If it is cold this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, uh, we may actually end up closing a little bit early. Um, but it's been a, it's been a great run at Altalinia. We have sold nearly ten thousand frozen Negronis in uh, uh, about four and a half months, uh, which is uh, which is impressive. Easily the our most popular item in any of our restaurants ever. Um, today we're going to be talking about something that I wish uh, we would actually sell a little bit more of. Um, it's a, a, a passion that, that I have, um, a region um, that is one of the most beautiful regions that I've been to, the Douro Valley. Um, and uh, in, uh, in studio today, we have the CEO of the Flagate Partnership, Adrian Bridge. Um, and uh, the Flagate Partnership has some of the greatest quality ports, including Taylor Flagate, uh, Fonseca, and now Croft Port. Uh, welcome to In the Drink. Joe, thanks very much. It's a N- very pleasure nice to, to be uh, over here from Portugal and to be able to share some ports with you nice and early in the morning. We've got four glasses of port. It's a perfect way to start the day. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess it's about uh, four in the afternoon in, uh, in Lisbon right now or in Porto, so... Uh, not not a bad time to have some port. Absolutely. Well, there's no bad time um, in the day to have a glass of port. But yeah, it's mid-afternoon. Uh, we've just finished harvest. Uh, this year has been a really good uh, harvest. We had sort of perfect conditions. We finished that up last weekend. And, and now, you know, we're in the phase where we, we start to get out, travel, see some customers around the world. And, you know, I'm here in, in New York 
because our Fonseca company is celebrating its 200th anniversary this year. Uh, it's our newest company, um, but it was founded in, uh, in 1815, and we're doing a big tasting this evening, uh, having a chance to, uh, to taste through some of the legendary uh, Fonseca vintage ports from, from the last century. Wow. Well, that's, well, congratulations. Uh, that's uh, quite a milestone. Um, yeah, some of your other companies were established before the United States existed. Well, I think, I mean, the U.S. has existed. Whether it was, um, whether it was populated and civilized is, is obviously something that happened perhaps a little later. But yeah, I mean, our oldest company, Croft, goes back to, to 1588, the year of the Armada. Um, and Taylor's, which is is really the the original company in the sense that um, you know, that was founded in 1692. But Taylor's, you know, bought Fonseca, um, and we, we you know we bought Croft, which we bought Croft on um, in 2001. Um, and so you know the, the three companies have really come together under the same family leadership. I'm the the current generation. My wife and I, the current generation of a family business that's been going on for 323 years, and, and not many companies uh, make uh, over 300 years and certainly not many family companies make it that long yeah well, there must be some unique challenges in terms of working in a, a family company um, I know that it was uh, your wife's father or your wife's side that uh, that was in the port business and uh, I'm sure there's uh, what, what's that like sort of working with your father-in-law well, Alistair you know, is, a, is a tremendous uh, man. He's been um, involved in the port industry for, for nearly 50 years, although he, he retired from being very actively involved in the business um, about 12 years ago. So, you know, he, he would be up in the, at the harvest um, and spend you know, time up there in the vineyards, but, but essentially he's retired. And, uh, you know, my wife and I are the, as I say, the current generation running the business. So, yeah, I mean, some of the challenges clearly from, from running a family business are um, that, that, you know, you, you are as a, as a single unit, you're trying to sort of run your business on your own with, with the uh, resources that come from the family. But at the same time, you know, that, that ability to look to the medium to long term is, is, is very important. And when we look at something like port, where you know we have stocks that that we're aging to sell, for example, as a twenty-year-old tawny or a thirty-year-old tawny or a forty-year-old tawny, you know the idea that we can look beyond the next quarter, the next year, uh, and look out to what our needs might be, uh, not for our generation but for the future generation. Mm -hmm. I think that is, is clearly one of the great advantages. Wine is a very capital-intensive business. You have to take the long view, and family companies are well suited to do that. Yes, uh, it, it completely is, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, uh, I always try to uh, explain to, to our staff, or, or I think about it, where you always have, you know, you have one vintage that's certainly in the, um, in the, the field, in the vineyard. You have another vintage that's in the winery and another that's in the market. So that's three years of capital. But when you're making a wine like a 20-year tawny, and you have 20 years, so now you're all of a sudden you're looking at like 20, 23 years of, of work that's tied up in one wine. Well, that's right. I mean, to make a bottle of 20-year-old uh, or any age tawny, you know, what we deal with is a lot of evaporation. So we lose about 3% a year. It's what we call the angel's share. Uh, to make one bottle of 20-year-old, we had to start you know, 20 years ago with the equivalent of two. So we've, we've one whole, um, one whole bottle effectively has, has evaporated. When you, when you actually put that into slightly other numbers, uh, for each liter that we sell, we have about 37 liters in stock. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that is a, that's a huge capital commitment. And that comes because, you know, over the years we've, we've been slowly accumulating. 
I, there's another way to look at what we do, and that is that um, we have about 42 million litres of stock, which is 16 and a half Olympic swimming pools full of port. So I think that that would give a whole new um, new sense of direction on the Olympics if if we started to swim in port, certainly. <laughs> I think everyone would be a little bit slower. Uh, <laughs> um, can, and can you explain uh, how your company is set up? Um, what, what is, is this very common in the port industry to have multiple brands with a, uh, a kind of leader company that, that controls multiple brands, or is it more uh, individual brands that, that run their own companies? Well, certainly, um, there's there's both uh, formats essentially exist in our industry, but the, the port industry has seen quite a lot of consolidation. In part because you know multinational companies that were in this business um, over the last thirty, forty years essentially have now left it, uh, and the reason for that is the return on capital employed. You know, they don't have the luxury of taking that medium to long term view. So, as a result, you know, the port industry has consolidated. I think, from our perspective, you know, we bought Fonseca back in nineteen forty nine. And it's very different from Taylor, Taylor Fladgate. And, and that is because it has different vineyards. And so when we look at these, you know, they're, they're very much about the individual house style that's supported by the individual vineyards. But the fact that they are together in, in one family uh, really informs the uh, direction, the, the quality ethos and, and really our focus. And, you know, as a group, we, we actually represent about one third of the world's uh, quality port. That's all we do is quality port. We don't do the sort of more, um, more basic entry levels into, into port. We just focus at the top end. And, you know, I think, think that's something that, um, you know, has, has served us very well over the, you know, the last hundreds of years. And, and I'm hopefully we'll continue to do that into the future. Yeah, and I'm very happy to hear you uh, say that, that the vineyard really informs the style, uh, when, especially when it comes to Fonseca um, and your acquisition of them uh, 70 years ago or so. My, I find that my favorite wines are always uh, informed by the vineyard. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is how... Um, how categorized the vineyards are of uh, the Douro Valley, which is where which is where the port comes from. Um, but can you tell us more specifically what what is unique about the vineyards of Fonseca and how is it different from Taylor Flagate and how does that eventually inform the the style of those wines? Well, you know, the, the Douro Valley is is probably one of the most beautiful uh, wine regions in the world. It's an extraordinary uh, river that that runs through this interior part of uh, northeastern Portugal, very remote, very wild. Uh, but the river cuts a fairly deep gorge essentially through through the landscape. So everything is on steep hills. Uh, we retain the, the the sort of hillsides with dry stone walls, and um, you know the planting technology that we have is is extraordinary. In fact, for um, you know, one of the interesting statistics as, as, as a group, we've got about 110 miles of dry stone walls. So, you know, Machu Picchu, eat your heart out. We've got a hell of a lot more um, in Portugal. But, but you know, within that valley, um, there are obviously uh, little rivers that run into the main valley. There are lots of different aspects, things that are north-facing, south-facing, west-facing, and so on. So when you look at uh, and try to describe any uh, individual house style, uh, like any wine region, you know, the three factors that are important are the soil, um, the the grape varieties, and indeed the uh, weather patterns that, 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 that essentially uh, control it. And in our case, um, we would have, with the different properties, certain different aspects. Some are facing, uh, to, in the case of Fonseca, all of them actually face really southwest, so they tend to pick up a little bit more um, 
a little bit more afternoon heat. Uh, we tend to have more plantings there of, of great varieties like Tinta Rorige, Tinta Barocca, Tinta Francesa. You know, with, with Taylor Fladgate, you know, one of its main properties is, in fact, a north-facing uh, vineyard. So that little change, if you like, in the microclimate uh, not only uh, makes a difference between the vineyards themselves, but even within each individual vineyard mm-hmm. you'll have it. Now, it starts to get a little bit technical, but I think the, the point being is that any style is is coming from from that soil and coming from that vineyard location and you know we've worked hard over the over the generations to make sure that that really is the way these wines express themselves and we can taste through and see the clear differences in in every version of the the different ports yep and uh, I, I find that you do make very expressive ports, and uh, and I've always wondered is uh, I guess the Fonseca being a little bit more powerful and having a little bit more fruit than the Taylor Flag, and I wonder if that is from the more south facing vineyards that get that afternoon heat. Is that is that accurate? Well, it, it it's part of the story, um, and certainly you know the grape variety is is also part mm-hmm. of the story. Yeah. Um, I think what you find with Fonseca is that as a house style, it's it's a very generous, warm, and inviting. Um, it's in a sense quite Latin; it'll come out and embrace you, whereas Taylor. Taylor Fladgate tends to be a little bit more, um, if I can say the British. word English, British, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more reserved. Um, you know, often described Fonseca as being quite a voluptuous style of mm-hmm. port. Um, you know, we were uh, Rubenesque almost. You can think of it as, a, as sort of large and curvaceous and sort of full of promise. Whereas Taylor tends to have, you know, that little bit more austerity, a little bit more uh, tightness of the tannins, a little bit more reserved. Croft, on the other hand, really tends to express itself in very pure fruit terms. So you get these beautiful, you know, clean blackcurrant, blackberries, plums, all these beautiful fruit flavors that, that come through, this tremendous purity of fruit. And that's really what informs Croft. So very different. And, and we work hard to maintain that. We have different winemakers. We have different blenders um, who work for the individual houses. So we can, we can sustain um, that uh, differentiation right the way through the aging and blending process. Yeah. Um, and I did want to speak with you about some of your sustainability efforts. Um, uh, I know that you've released the first uh, organic, technically fully organic port, which is really exciting, Terrabella. Um, but to what extent does sustainability uh, play a role in, in your activities? Well, it's absolutely critical. Um, you know, and again, this goes to this medium to long term view. We are husbands uh, of the Douro. We look after the Douro Valley. Um, the Douro in the books will tell you it's a river, the Douro River. And the truth is, it's no longer a river. It's a series of lakes. They put the dams in there in the mid-70s. And so as a series of lakes, it'll therefore accumulate all the runoff of pesticides and herbicides and so on on the land. So we've developed an entirely sustainable model of viticulture, which has basically eliminated the use of pesticides and herbicides. And that's that's fantastic for us as a business. I think it, it, it enhances port, but it certainly enhances... Um, the environment but we've gone on beyond that you know we we generate all of the power we need as a business through solar energy Mm -hmm. Um, so we take it seriously it does matter to the future and again comes back to this idea you need to have the medium to long-term vision yeah and i and i also feel that uh my a lot of my favorite wines are made with sustainability i find that they tend to be more expressive more vibrant um and i i wonder if uh, as you've increased your sustainability efforts in the vineyard if you've noticed uh marked changes in in the wines well if you take terrabella terrabella is uh, from fonseca 
Um, it's a it's a reserve port. It's very much like Bin 27, mm-hmm. which is the flagship of, of Fonseca. But um, by being organically farmed, uh, we find the fruit is more intense. So our yields are probably um, about 20, 25% less than we would get if we were farming it um, with, with any, you know, other, with any chemicals at all. Um, but then you'd, you'd find that your labor costs are much higher because, of course, you're doing much more by hand in order to, to overcome uh, the, the fact that you can't use even, even uh, very basic chemicals in that. So, so the, the net effect of that is that it's much more expensive to produce, but it does, it's more concentrated, it's richer, it's denser, and it's that density of fruit, that, that lusciousness and, and that real expression of, of Fonseca, which we feel um, makes it all worthwhile. Do you think that this is the future of uh, of port, that people are going to go more towards the methods that you're doing, or is it just prohibitively expensive and uh, they're not going to be able to do it as easily? Yeah, look, I think if you go fully organic, that's in a very expensive game because mm-hmm. of the, the costs and, and the yield costs, uh, you know, much higher yields, much lower. I think if you take more of the pragmatic approach with our sustainable viticulture, whereby, um, you know, we for example, have uh, using our terraces, we no longer uh, have uh, the, the rows of vines, in a sense, blocking the, the earth slope. So we can control the weeds on the earth slope mechanically. We cut them uh, with a grass cutter. Uh, so we don't have to use um, any chemicals to do that. That is sustainable. Um, that is something that's mechanized. So that mechanization is important. That, that does allow us to keep the costs down. And I think that certainly will increasingly be the way um, farms are looked after in the Douro Valley. All right. Uh, on that note, we are going to take a quick break, and we're going to be back with more of uh, Adrian Bridge from Flagate Partnership, and we're going to taste some port in just a minute. Still paying attention? Are you there? Hello, 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 hello. I'm talking to you. Hi. Hey, this is Jack Inslee. I'm the executive producer here at Heritage Radio Network. I've been here at the station since 2009, and I cannot believe just how much this network has grown over that time. We've been able to grow because of donations from people like you. So if you're enjoying this, if you laughed, if you learned something, contribute anything. A dollar, two dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, anything counts. And trust me, we'll appreciate seeing your name come through on the donations. So consider visiting heritageradionetwork.org, click on that little beating heart, the donate button, and show us you care. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In the Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small, from careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels to lower barrel entry proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. Michter's cost-be-damned, taste-is-everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. 
Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Nictors the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said, it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Mictors. Phenomenal. For more information, visit Mictors.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Mictors. All right, we're back on In the Drink uh, with Adrian Bridge, CEO of the Flaggate Partnership, uh, which are some of the, the greatest ports out there, Fonseca, Taylor Flaggate, and Croft. Uh, during the first half of the segment, I have been uh, sipping on and enjoying very much the Fonseca White Sirocco Port, um, which is, is really delicious. It reminds me something somewhere of uh, between a Fino Sherry and... I want to say a white vermouth, but I, you might be upset at me about that. But it's just a really enjoyable sipping aperitif sort of port. What can you tell us about it? Well, Joe, you're absolutely right. It's, it's got you know some of those fino characteristics simply because you know dry white port was in is, was created in fact by Taylor Flaggate back in 1934, and it was done because you know a little local politics in Spain was stopping our um, uh, us buying a lot of finos. So uh, we created it ourselves. Obviously, it comes from uh, white grapes made in the grown in the Dura valley the idea of it being a nice dry water dry port is it's got that sort of freshness and that cleanness um and we tend to drink it chilled uh, it's a fantastic aperitif you'd have this with some salted almonds and some olives or something like that but we also make it into um, a really good long drink so we would add some either tonic water or uh, maybe some soda water uh, about the proportions of you know one third of the Sirocco, two thirds of, of tonic water. And it's a really really refreshing uh, summer aperitif. Wow, sounds like you can have quite a few of those, and uh, that'd be really refreshing. I, I'm I'm very much enjoying this. Uh, reluctant to move on, uh, but what what is the next one you have here? Well, what we've got now is the Fonseca Bin Twenty Seven, and you know this is what we would call a reserve port. Uh, it's been aged in large wooden vats, about sort of twenty, thirty thousand liters, where you've got all this, um, you know, large volume of liquid keeps all the nice big fresh berry fruit flavors. So you've got this lovely black currant, blackberry, plummy sort of cassis flavors in there. Lovely intensity, very rich. Um, you know, I tend to think of uh, bin twenty seven as being one of those uh, fantastic uh, end of the meal. Uh, I mean, you can have it with a dessert. This goes incredibly well mm. with chocolate. A nice dark chocolate and something as rich as this goes incredibly well. It also serves with, with cheese and perhaps stronger flavored cheeses. It also actually serves to be dessert on its own. Um, let's not forget that, you know, sometimes at the end of a meal, you don't want to eat anything. You just want to sort of round it off. And something like this with this beautiful intensity and this sweetness and richness is a wonderful way to do it. It's called Bin 27 because literally this was a family reserve port, which... Uh, or a port reserved only for the family. And when, um, when we decided to commercialize it in the early 70s, um, the name we used was the name the family had used, and that is, you know, give us some of the port that's in bin number 27, mm -hmm. literally as simple as that. And so it became bin 27. Very, yeah. very popular, very widely available. Um, it's, it's very enjoyable as well. Um, as you said, a lot of ripe fruit um, and a nice tannic structure as well. Would this technically be considered a, uh, a ruby reserve port or how, 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 would, you, how would you classify this? Well, one? it's a reserve port. Um, you know, these, this word ruby and tawny gets banded around in the port industry. And unfortunately, you know, standard ruby, standard tawny is very much the, the sort of generic end of the port industry. Right. Um, the top end, you know, we tend to think more about the, when we use word reserve, we're thinking more about the full-bodied style of ports. So something like this reserve bin 27, something like a, a late 
eight bottle vintage, which which is also a full bodied style. And that's coming, as I say, from being aged in these large vats where you have large volume of liquid, very little surface area of wood, and you retain all this beautiful um, freshness of, of the berries. And and that's in direct contrast to the the next port we're going to taste today, because that's been aged in small wooden barrels. Yes, uh, one of my favorite, probably my favorite style of port is a tawny port and. Of the tawnies, um, you know, 10 year, 20, I guess there's the basic generic tawny, but then goes into 10 year, 20, 30, and 40 for quality tawnies and single vintage Kohita uh, tawny, which uh, very rare. I've, I don't see those too often at all. Um, generally, other than the, the great single vintage Kohita, the 20 year tends to be, for me, my, my personal favorite style and the nice balance of still some fruit and those the, the oak and the, the oxygen flavors that are going into it. Well, Joe, you're right. I think, I think you know, by aging this in the small barrels, what happens is we have a lot of contact with the wood, so we lose color into the wood. And that's mm. why they give this beautiful tawny color, tiger's eye, amber colors. Um, but I think what we're also seeing is this uh, level of evaporation. I touched on wow. a little earlier that in, the, in our conversation. We lose about 3% a year. So to make one liter of this, we had to start 20 years ago with, with, with two liters. And the angel share, we have very, very thirsty angels in Portugal, so the angels are taking a lot. But it's that gradual evaporation that, that creates this, this you know, gentle oxidization and brings the flavors mm-hmm. around to these sort of dried fruits. So what you get here is this um, you know, dried apricots. You get these sort of white raisins. You get this beautiful sort of honeyed flavors, a little bit of the um, hazelnuts and, and that, that. So you've got this tremendous layers of complexity. And that's what makes it very, very appealing. And we would typically have this with, um, you know, creme brulee or an apple pie. Uh, we're coming up, obviously, to to Thanksgiving and, uh, yeah, Halloween, actually, where we're going to have pecan pie. So, you know, this would be a perfect accompaniment with pecan pie. Portugal, we would tend to typically serve this a little bit chilled. Do you celebrate Halloween in Portugal, or do you, you, you just know your market? In here, well, here, yeah. we, we nowadays, you know, it's, it's it's a big global world, and and you know, Halloween is becoming increasingly important. Uh, I don't think we have quite the same sort of trick or treat, um, and certainly if we had chicken treat in Portugal. Um, we may find that everyone was getting a glass of port on the doorstep, which is probably not allowed. So, um, you know, yeah, it's it's uh, increasingly important. But I think you know, it's a nice thing about Halloween is remember we're coming into that winter season, and a lot of people tend to think about port. Um, more in the winter. I would argue that port's available for all times of the year, uh, but I would also argue that a good glass of port is almost central heating for humans. So as the weather turns cold, you know, fill up a glass of port and it just gives you that lovely, rich, warm feeling as you have a great glass of port pulsing through your veins. Uh, I love it. And I, I also want to ask you about the uh, further aged tawny ports. Is that a direct relationship? You said it takes two bottles for a 20. Is it four bottles for a 40? Yeah, effectively, um, the, you know, the, the 3% um, a year is compounding. So uh, to make a bottle of 40-year-old, it's very rare. It takes a lot now. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to think, and you know, this goes back to this family question, that we'll be putting wines aside today uh, from this harvest that mm-hmm. we just had that will not be sold until you know, 2055. Probably when I'm, um, you know, long, long dead and buried, uh, but you know, some other member of the family will be selling it later on. So it's, you know, we we have, we make these wonderful old ports because we have in the past laid those ports down. They've been aging, and they're now available to us. And uh, not many people make it. 
yeah. for obvious reasons. You know, the, the, the accountants don't like it. But by golly, does it taste good. Yeah, I'm sure you get obnoxious questions like this all the time. But what is the, the oldest uh, port that you've tried both in the tawny system out of barrel? Because um, I'm sure you have single barrels that are significantly older than some, other, than some others. And then a bottled vintage port. And what what are what's the experience like of tasting these super old ports? Well, I mean, it, it's extraordinary because you're tasting a, a piece of history. I mean, we launched uh, a couple of years ago something called Scion, which was from 1855. And that had been literally in a wooden barrel since 1855. Uh, last year, we launched something called uh, from 1863. And it's kind of interesting because you look at 1863, the year that you know, Henry Ford was born. Uh, so was actually Mr. Persia. So was Mr. Royce. But it was the Battle of Gettysburg. It was the foundation of the Red Cross. It's all these extraordinary uh, landmarks of history. Uh, you know, the first metro line was built in London. The first metro line in the world was built in London in 1863. So you, you're tasting this extraordinary time capsule. Mm-hmm. And of course, after 150 years in wood, not only is it incredibly concentrated, um, there's so much richness of flavor, so many layers. Um, and it's just such a stimulation to to think about this, what's happened and changed in the world in 150 years. But you asked me about vintage port and, and vintage port, unlike age tawny, age tawny concentrates down, but with mm-hmm. vintage port, it doesn't evaporate. <clears throat> So over time, it becomes more and more delicate. The oldest I've had is in 1847, which was almost a pale strawberry color, very soft, very delicate. We didn't have it at the end of the meal, which is when you would traditionally have vintage port. We had it at the beginning because we didn't want any of the flavors from food or whatever to get in the way of this tremendous delicacy. Um, Very scented, very sensuous, and again, some incredible piece of history that something has lasted that long and we had the privilege to pull the cork and taste it amazing and that would have to be recorked i imagine several times throughout no no nope, we don't recork um you wow. know I, I, plenty of companies wine companies around the world will, will sort of talk about recorking we believe that um, if you choose a good cork yeah. in the outset there's no need to to recork and we're very lucky in portugal i guess you get the first dibs in terms of good corks exactly in yeah. you know 50 percent of the world's corks are grown in portugal 75 yeah. percent of the world's corks are processed in portugal so we get first choice and we work very very closely with the cork industry because we are making you know, with our vintage ports, we're making wines that we know could well last 100, 150 years. Um, we wouldn't recommend that. We would recommend you buy and drink them and enjoy them. But, but they certainly can last. So we certainly need to, to pay the money to get a really good quality cork that can last the distance. Yeah. And, uh, okay, our last port that we're tasting is a vintage port. This might be the youngest vintage port I've ever had in my life. Is this, is this sacrilege to taste a 2012? This is the Croft Quinta da Roeda. Uh, I, I might have butchered that, but uh, vintage port. Thank you for sharing this. Well, it, it's certainly not a sacrilege to, to to open a glass of port. I mean, this is this is a young port, and when they're this young, you get this incredible um, intensity mm-hmm. of fruits. So you've got, like we have with the bin twenty seven, you've got that black currant, blackberry flavors, but you've also got layers and layers. And it's you know we don't make vintage port very often. It's one of the rarest wines um, in the world. In this particular case, the Quinta de Rueda from from Croft. We probably made about three thousand mm-hmm. cases of this, and. You know, when you taste this, you not only get all that richness of fruit, but you get this real density in the mouth, what we call mouthfeel. You know, somewhere, if you read some of the wine books, people will talk about the experience of a great young vintage port being almost like a, a, an iron fist 
in a velvet glove and you get that sense when you put it in the mouth you get this sort of rich filling you um this this sort of soft silkiness that is in those tannins and yet in the middle of it you've got this power this structure this real sort of presence in 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 the in the mouth and i think you know that shows a wine that's got the potential to age but it certainly has the potential to be enjoyed a lot at this stage um and and i've done that i've enjoyed it a lot at this stage uh, surprisingly to me it's it's uh it is a big uh a big wine um but it is absolutely beautiful it has uh, a lot of what's going on with the uh the bin 27 and then uh even on maybe a little bit more complexity um lots of tannin but they're smooth and soft and fine and supple and, and that's a that's an excellent wine yeah well so you know vintage port is something that you you know used to traditionally have at the end of the meal and you mm-hmm. you sort of have the loyal toast and there's lots of rituals you pass it to the left because that leaves your sword arm free to protect yourself lots of sort of stories that accumulated over time but you know the other day i was i was uh, at a meal where they served a young vintage port like this with a steak huh. it's kind of try this with steak and i sort of well you know is that really going to work and yes it does because you've got this intensity this sweetness this lusciousness and that of course pairs up very well so you know i had my eyes open the other day to a, a fantastic new pairing it's exciting stuff Wow. Uh, this will be, you know, if, if this winter is anything like last winter in New York, I am going to be drinking a lot of port. There you are. Central heating for humans. <laughs> Central heating for humans. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been Just such a pleasure. pleasure. Um, and, guys, I, I encourage you to, if you haven't had them, to check out the, uh, the Fonseca, uh, Taylor Flagate, and Croft ports. They are all pretty outstanding. Um, uh, and I really appreciate you guys all for listening. Thanks so much to our always amazing producer jory morales and engineer jack Inslee. you guys are the best thank you for putting the show together every week um and thanks to all of you guys for listening uh if you want to listen to uh this episode again uh, or any of our past episodes you can always go to heritage radio dot uh heritage radio network dot org slash in the drink uh or listen to us on itunes thanks again and we'll see you next week Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.